This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. It's the early evening in the Bronx, an infamously dangerous part of New York City. The dark streets are illuminated by flashes of colour. The yellow of the street lamps the bright hues of neon signs from bars and restaurants, and most dominant of all, the pulses of red and blue from the scores of police cars patrolling the streets. That night, I was part of a patrol led by an NYPD officer known as Chuck. Chuck has worked in the Bronx for 17 years as a cop. Do you think this area here at the Bronx, now it's getting a bit dark, is it safe to walk around here? Uh, I would not bring my family here. We have a lot of homeless. There's a lot of mentally unstable people who I feel really could benefit from some sort of institutionalization uh, and medical help and, and being in a facility where they can receive that. Uh, I feel they're, they're kind of out on the street now and you can see up and down the streets their, their behavior. Uh, pacing back and forth, you know, sometimes they're just yelling at themselves or it's sometimes obvious that they are intoxicated or under the influence of something. I feel New York was safer. The areas that I've worked in were safer earlier in my career than they are today. My name is Stephen Edgington and I'm a reporter from the Daily Telegraph. In this final episode of The Red Wave, I'm here in New York to investigate the violent crime wave that has swept the city. I'll also ask what impact this will have on the midterm elections and whether there could be a surprise Republican upset here. My first stop was to the NYPD's 38th precinct in the Bronx, where I met up with Deputy Chief Eric Hernandez. We sat down in Eric's office, a cluttered room full of medals, pictures of cops and even a little figure of Donald Trump. Eric was in a crisp white shirt with his golden NYPD badge proudly on show. How much can you blame the increase in violent crime on the rise of the BLM riots, for example, and other activist movements 
who are anti-police and anti-cop. I don't know what level I would say that I would blame it on that particular thing. There is no secret that there is a significant anti-police element that has become that much more visible, uh, that much more audible, uh, that much more prevalent in the press. It is a common denominator through policing in this country and throughout the world of an anti-police, um, I wouldn't call it so much campaign, but just a movement uh, against authority uh, that unfortunately has had a negative conduct. So I wouldn't point at any one particular thing such as uh, BLM or anything, but when you see what has happened you know, during uh, the, the riots of, uh, of, of 2000, uh, 2020, so to speak, um, it is alarming because uh, what we're seeing are, are civil disturbances that we had not seen nationwide and just a, a really, really common denominator of uh, resistance and, 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 and aggression towards the police that we had never seen before. Do you think that the police here in New York have ever been more hated by some of the public? During my career, no. This is the worst I've ever seen. Uh, in my perspective, in 30 years, I've never seen uh, uh, this kind of uh, dynamic. And it's unfortunate because many of the people that we talk to, whether we agree or we agree to dis- disagree with, when we present them the facts, uh, many a times they change their their view, and that's what's very sad, uh, you know, about uh, some of the rhetoric that you see and the belief. There is a belief by some people that the police are actively killing people of color. The reality is that when you look at the total number of police shootings in general, regardless of who the uh, the, the suspect is or what uh, racial dynamic they are, it is such a very very tiny component of the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of police encounters uh, that we experience with citizens throughout the year. So the narrative that was created was that the police were killing literally thousands of people. That's factually not true, um, but that lie was spread and people actually believed it. So um, it did have a significant effect on the psyche of people of what they believed because that was the narrative that was spread. So it is sad, particularly with young people. Um, but uh, yeah, I've never seen it in my 30 years uh, with this veracity. Uh, and this is just not only social media, this is the press, this is people on the streets. So it's an unfortunate thing going, going on right now. After Eric's interview, he set me up to go on a ride along with one of his officers, Chuck, who you heard at the beginning of the episode. Chuck took us around the local neighborhood for a couple of hours. Every few minutes, we would see the lights of yet more police cars, usually in groups of two or three. Yeah, so you see there's this crime scene tape around this uh, vehicle here. Yeah. So uh, my, my, the best guess would be that um, some sort of crime happened here, possibly a shooting, and these officers are securing the crime scene, either waiting for... Uh, evidence collection or the crime scene unit to come process. Can you tell us about the shooting that happened? Which shooting? The one that got you, uh, the desk job a few years ago. Oh, um, sorry. That's all right. So in 2011, I was working um, in the street narcotics enforcement unit. We received a call for a an assault in progress. And when we got there, we um, witnessed a man assaulting a woman uh, on the third story balcony of 
a private apartment building. My partner went inside to try to gain access to the apartment, at which time I was outside giving the man commands to stop assaulting the woman. Uh, He was punching her several times, and it appeared he was trying to grab her legs and throw her over the balcony. I had drawn my firearm. I was ordering him to stop the assault, at which time he turned to me and, and stated that he was going to kill her. Uh, at that time, I saw that in his hand that he, I believed he was punching her with, he had a very large knife. And I quickly calculated that those punches were all stab wounds, stabs. He was stabbing her repeatedly. Um, and I could see she was bleeding profusely. So I fired my weapon twice, striking him twice. He fell backwards. He came back into my vision stated once again that he was going to kill her, and uh, he stabbed her again. I shot him a third time. Unfortunately, she had succumbed to her wounds and did not make it. Eventually, he was taken into custody. He actually uh, survived. What happened to you after the shooting? It was deemed a good shooting. I was justified. Uh, My gun wasn't removed or anything like that, Um, but the city sees you as a liability at that point. And I'm very fortunate that the timing of my shooting, there was no racially motivated shootings around that time that were deemed that way by the media or or anything. If my incident was to happen today, it'd be one of the first things that uh, the news outlets post, the race and nationality of myself and or the the other parties involved. Do you feel people respect the police here in the Bronx? Today's day and age, absolutely not. No. Why not? What's the problem? When I got on, I felt like the police were respected more. When there was a bunch of people at 3 o'clock in the morning hanging out on a street corner, uh, we would roll up with a police car, flick the lights on, and everybody would disperse. Today, they take that opportunity to... Uh, challenge us. And when the stop, question, and frisk went away, we had a lot of people deliberately like reaching in their waistbands just to see what kind of reaction they would get from the police. Commonly, illegal weapons and guns and stuff are carried in people's waistbands or uh, sweatshirt pockets. There's a lot of good New Yorkers. I've met a lot of great people in the past 17 years uh, who are hardworking you know, diehard New Yorkers through and through, and they are great people, and they do support the police, and, and you know, um, they are respectful. Um, but the, the day-to-day people that the, the police come in contact with, uh, I feel there is no respect. I wanted to know how New Yorkers felt about the NYPD and the officers who put their lives on the line to protect the public. I took to the streets around Times Square, ask both tourists and locals whether they felt safe in the Big Apple. Do you think crime has risen in the last few years? Crime? Definitely. I'm kind of scared to go on the subway sometimes. I'm afraid I'm going to get like pushed or something. What about defund the police? Defund the police? No, I agree with that. I agree with that. I say fuck the police. New York City is my home, of course. But I do feel safe out there. I see a lot more cops on the street. I see a lot more people like um, supporting each other. So yes, I do feel safe. In New York, yes, I do feel safe in New York. What do you think about defund the police? I have a lot of police friends, 
So I feel like defunding them isn't the, isn't the answer. I think it, we need to support them more personally. So do you guys feel safe in New York City? Um, sometimes. Like, not at night, not alone, not on the subway. And have you experienced crime here? Yeah, I've... So a couple things have happened to me. So I was, like, walking, like, to the grocery store literally the day I moved here. And, like, a random man on a bike, like, punched me in the face and, like, biked away. And I was, like, bleeding everywhere. It was, like, pretty crazy. And then I also got ran over by a car. Like, a car, like, ran over my foot. I moved here, like, a month ago, too. So it's, like, yeah. It's, like, New York is, like, definitely tough. I've experienced that being a young woman in the city is very dangerous as well. I remember, like, my first time visiting New York, I was, like, walking around at night and I got like street assaulted and harassed like this guy like came up behind me he like poked my ass and he was like he's like hey like like just screaming like kind of vulgar things at me and I was like I didn't know what to do in that moment listen I'm from New York so I've been assaulted like I remember one time I was going to college and just because someone was having a bad day I bumped into them and had like really dark glasses I didn't even know her and she fucked me up no lie so basically, you bumped into this woman, and what did she do? She uh, had a Snapple bottle, and she pushed down my face. And I deadass was going to school, and I didn't want to fight her. I, I was just like, whatever. I dead slapped the bottle. She goes, whoop, so it's fucking me up. And I remember I was getting fucked up, and I was like, oh, shit, I'm getting fucked up. And I put my arm in my face, and we got closer to, like, a building which was behind me, and I was, like, like banging on the window so that they could come out. And some man was just recording in the car the whole time. He had video of what they did. He didn't come out and help. At the end of the day, everybody got a weapon on them here. You have to have a weapon on you. Like, if you want to be safe, unfortunately, you have to have a weapon on you. Are you guys armed now? Excuse me? Are you armed now? Have you got a weapon now? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to say it. That's right. <laughs> no, like, like, I need to get peppers. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is being filmed. <laughs> I can't answer that one. So, so wouldn't you guys prefer more police people to protect you, I mean, against assault and stuff like that? I mean, I if they like, actually no, did. I protect myself more than they could protect me. It's like, this shit's still going to be the same. I'm still the one defending myself. I have to wait for you to come. As we were walking down a street near Times Square, I approached a group of young men, asking if they wished to be interviewed. In response, one of them violently threatened myself and my cameraman, demanding our equipment. Excuse me, can I ask you a quick question? No worries. That fucking camera fucking breaking. The incident was a timely reminder of how nowhere is 100% safe in the streets of New York. I wondered whether the visceral hatred from some members of the public towards the police was having an impact on the morale of NYPD officers. To find out, I visited the policing college John Jay where I met up with Joe Giacolone, a retired NYPD officer turned professor. I entered the New York City Police Department in 1992, and I retired in 2012. So I saw the quote-unquote bad old days and the, and the good days, where crime was at near all-time highs during the 1990s, and when I left, things were pretty good. Looking at the recent spike in violent crime, particularly in cities like New York, how much can we blame the BLM riots for this and the death of George Floyd? Well, I, we're not going to blame the BLM riots per se, right? But the George Floyd incident, let's just take, let's talk, talk about that case. Derek Chauvin has done more to destroy policing 
in this country than I think in any single event in my life. And I've seen a couple of police incidents that were really terrible, but this one, you know, kind of like takes the cake. And it came at a time where the movement was to this anti-police environment rhetoric that we saw. And this was just their, their quote unquote, like time to seize control. And that's basically what they did. Why do you think so many officers in the NYPD are retiring early? Well, there's been, like I said, not only have you had a lot of these reforms, but you've had legislation to go against them, right? There's, they want to remove qualified immunity or they move, remove qualified immunity, which would make it easier to personally sue a police officer where you could be held liable. Even if you were right, you could still be sued. And the second thing is we've had in New York State by the city council uh, pass what's called the diaphragm law, which is basically if you try to arrest somebody and you make any effort to go around the neck, press on the chest, on the back, and you obstruct the breathing on somebody, the, we have district attorneys that are looking to arrest the cops for this, which has led to a lot of videos. You might have seen them online where you have five or six cops trying to figure out how they're going to tackle this guy because they're worried about where they put their hands, where they, where they grab them, and it, and it becomes... A, a real problem. Actually, the state police set out a memo saying that we weren't going to do police work in New York City anymore because of this kind of thing. So it, it's a big deal. And if you're a cop and you're worried about now not only getting arrested for doing your job, but now you're looking to get sued, and I could go to a, a county where it's better pay, better benefits, and nicer working conditions. Yeah, let's put it this way. If I, had, if I was working and I had the opportunity to leave and get a, a job somewhere else, I'd be out of here too. When we talk about statistics, it can turn some people off. It can be a bit dehumanizing. Can you paint me a picture of what it's been like in New York in the last few years to people who haven't been or, or have never been to New York? So in the last two and three quarters years in the subway system, I think we've had 24 homicides in the last two and three quarters years. From 2019, I think, to 2002, we had 21. So almost 20 years, we only had 21 homicides. We've had 24 in the last two and three quarters. Is New York becoming a genuinely dangerous place to live? I don't think so. All right. Listen, I was, like I said, I was a cop in the 90s. It was dangerous back then. And a lot of people say, well, it's not as bad as it was in the 1990s. And I say, yes, you're right. But we shouldn't wait till it gets that bad in order to do something. So how bad was New York in the 1990s? And how did the city turn it around? Much of the answer lies with the former commissioner of the NYPD, Bill Bratton. Bratton was hired in the early 1990s by then-Mayor Rudy Giuliani to help fix the spree of homicides and violent crime plaguing the city. I sat down with Mr Bratton over video link to discuss his time in the NYPD. On the streets, a uh, phenomenal amount of documented crime. In that year, 1990, my first year, there were 2,245 murders recorded in the city. Over one half million serious crimes reported in that city of seven and a half million people. There were 7,000 locations in the city of Newark in the early 90s where drugs were openly being sold on street corners, parks. Prostitution was rampant in the uh, mid midtown Manhattan. In summary, it was a nightmare. Dante's Inferno might be a better description. What is the broken windows theory of policing? Broken windows is another term for disorder. Broken windows is effectively what we would call quality of life crime, oftentimes referred to as victimless crime, graffiti, uh, aggressive begging, things that where an individual is not actually assaulted, 
but in which they were put in fear, in which they were intimidated. I'm a strong proponent and supporter and implementer of broken windows policing. The idea that to effectively control crime, serious or minor, you can't just focus on just serious crime or you just can't focus on minor crime, broken windows. You have to have a series of initiatives, strategies, a comprehensive set of strategies that address both at the same time. Can you briefly explain what happened in New York to crime when you implemented your new broken windows policy? It declined dramatically. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Not only serious crime, but quality of life crime. Giuliani hired me as his first police commissioner. And the results in New York were dramatic. Uh, within my 27 months with him, uh, overall crime in the city went down by almost 40%. We got rid of the 7,000 open-air drug locations. We got rid of most of the prostitution. And what was the impact of that for the next 25 years, up until 2019? Crime continued to go down in the city of New York. Quality of life continue to improve in that the visibility of broken windows types of offenses declined so dramatically that tourism went up to 65 million a year by 2018. In 2018 was the safest year in the history of New York City as it relates to serious crime. There are fewer than 100,000 reported crimes. 1998, there were 500,000. There were, I think, about 270 murders versus the 2243. But it all, fell, it all fell apart in 2019. Well, this is it. So it's interesting you say in 2019, things started to change. And you can explain your reasons why you think that happened. In the United States, we have a very serious political divide now in our country. We have forces on the far right. We have forces on the far left. Uh, on the left, the, Dem- the Democratic side, Democratic Party largely, There is uh, what is called the progressive left woke criminal justice reform movement that really began to pick up steam in 2019, and uh, not just in my city and state, but throughout the country. A lot of that was being fueled by a conscious effort to elect district attorneys who believed that there had been too much mass incarceration, too much police enforcement, particularly involving minorities, particularly involving blacks. To find out more about the impact of these left-wing district attorneys and why crime has surged in recent years, I spoke with Raphael Manguel from the Manhattan Institute, an organisation that was pivotal in promoting the broken windows theory of policing. 
Can you very briefly take us through some of the stats of what's happened to crime in New York over the last few years? Yeah, well, in 2020, New York City uh, saw a 46-plus percent increase in homicides, which is the single largest year-over-year increase in homicides in this city's history. That was also the third year in a row in which homicides went up in New York City, something that also has never happened in New York City's history. And in 2021, homicides increased again, albeit by a smaller margin. I think it was a little less than 5%. So we had four years of homicide increases in a row for the first time in the city's history, and we had the single largest year-over-year homicide spike. Now, lots of people pointed to this and said, well, this is an anomaly, right? This is just COVID-related, which I think is misguided for a lot of reasons, the most obvious of which is that, you know, COVID affected the entire country. We did not see crime affect the entire country. It remained as geographically and demographically concentrated as it ever was. We also didn't see violent crime rise around the world the way that it did in the U.S., despite COVID being an issue around the world. But a lot of people also harped on the fact that other crime categories remained pretty historically low, things like robbery, burglaries, uh, larcenies. But the reality is, is that that was actually a function of the pandemic because of the lockdowns. People were spending fewer and fewer hours on the street. And if you actually do the analysis, as a criminologist named Aaron Chalfin did with colleagues, what they found was that for every hour you spent on the street, you were at basically a 30% heightened risk of victimization in these other crime categories. So it's not that these other crime categories didn't go up. They went up relative to how much time people were actually spending on the street. So I think it's safe to say that we are in the middle of a pretty serious crime wave. Why do you think there's been a recent increase in crime in New York? I think it's been just a confluence of really bad policy decisions. We have seen incarceration rates drop significantly over the last decade plus. We have seen a multitude of reforms, all of which are aimed at lowering the transaction costs of committing crime and or raising the transaction costs of enforcing the law. So I'm thinking here of things like bail reform, uh, discovery reform, which you know creates all these new unfunded burdens that prosecutors have to comply with in order to bring a criminal case, raise the age legislation, which makes it you know almost impossible to hold the 16 or 17-year-old criminal defendant uh, responsible as an adult, um, which means that they're almost never getting lengthy prison sentences. You have the Less is More Act, which makes it much more difficult to send people back to prison for violating the terms of their parole. You have the progressive prosecutor movement where, you know, in Brooklyn and Manhattan, we now have uh, district attorneys who are explicitly committed to decarceration as an end in itself. There are, of course, many who support criminal justice reform in New York City. To get their point of view, I caught up with Tana Geneva, an independent journalist who focuses on crime. We met in a park in the Bronx, overlooking New York's infamous jail complex on Rikers Island. Can you explain what Rikers Island is over there? What is Rikers Island? Uh, Rikers is a jail complex with 10 different jails. Um, It houses approximately um, 10,000 people, and 85% of them are there pre-trial, so they're legally innocent. And it's just notorious for overcrowding and abuses and deaths. We've had 16 deaths just this year. So there is obviously this issue over what's called bail reform. So this is people wanting to not put people into Rikers, to not put people into jail before their trial begins. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that is an issue where we look, people do need to go to jail because they might be repeat offenders, they might have had a criminal record, and we need to make sure that people are safe, you know, the victims of crime are safe from these people at the same time as sort of having that balance. Uh, No, because uh, people out on bail commit, re-offend, 
violently something like 2% of the time. It's extremely rare. Also, we're not talking about the elimination of all bail. We're talking about the elimination of cash jail. Because if you have a lot of money, you can pay your bail and then go commit more violence. So the issue is that it's not, it's, it makes no sense in terms of the dangerous, dangerousness of the suspect just because they can't pay. So even with that 2%, isn't it, isn't it worth, even with that 2% of re-offending, to make sure, to be on the safe side, as it were, with this bail reform? Um, no, because why don't we consider the public safety of people who are in jail pre-trial, a.k.a. legally innocent? Like I mentioned, there were 16 deaths just this year. Why isn't there public safety an issue? So it's the balance, isn't it, between the, the safety of the public and the safety of the people who have been sort of uh, accused of crimes or awaiting trial? Uh, I don't want to sound like a crazy hippie, but people at Rikers are the public. People in prison are the public. I mean, especially since there's so many kids at Rikers, right? Tana isn't the only one who supports such reforms. I had arranged to meet up with an organisation called Copwatch, whose sole purpose is to record the police and keep them accountable. Our rendezvous was in Washington Square Park in Lower Manhattan, where I first met with Steve. What I do here, I come to Washington Square Park because I've been reached out by the vendors here that they were being harassed by um, the NYPD. Now, artists don't need a permit to to, uh, vend or like that. It's expressive art, it's allowed, right? Steve only had a few teeth left and wore a leather jacket with an improvised body camera, along with a curious button that read ACAB with the caption, All cats are beautiful. So you've got this badge here, it says ACAB. So it says, All cats are beautiful. Yeah, well, all cops are... Is that are, really what it is? Yeah, well, they, all cops are bastards. You know, Are, I, they, are, they, are they really? My, well, I'm going to be honest with you, not all. All right? There's some that are good. But they still have to listen to their bosses, and they still have to commit the acts that their bosses tell them to do. Steve and I took a short wander around the park, where he pointed out the NYPD officers he regularly records to keep in check. Shortly afterwards, Steve's colleague Jose arrived. Jose wore a large, dark coat with the words Cop Watch, Special Police Brutality Unit, plastered on the back. How you doing there? Nice to meet you, Stephen. How you doing? Nice to meet you, Steve. Yeah, I was like, Steve, Steve. So we How you doing there? You're going to have to call me something else. Yeah. So do you want to explain what, what we're doing here in the park? When we in the Washington Square Park, it's all about watching police. That's what we want to do. We want to make sure we can't get rid of them. I strictly want to abolish police, but that's not going to happen. So I want... So you, you actually want to abolish the police? Yeah, I, I don't even think, you know, I think they, they, they are the problem. Who's going to especially in in black and brown communities and in my neighborhood we keep us safe the people keep each other safe because police is not there protecting us 24 hours a day now am i right in saying that you sued the nypd i sued and i won um Nine hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. Nine hundred and twenty-five. wow and what was that for uh basically because they tried to set me up and I ended up um, audio recording for three hours all their activities within the, within the police station. It recorded them admitting that I was nowhere near 
them to even harass me or arrest me. And they also were speaking about how they could buy guns and how they would love to buy a gun to plan on me. They was trying to find felonies to charge me with. Uh, I mean, they fucked up. So do we, are we going to go on a ride along or what's the plan? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, we're going to go yeah. ride along. Okay. And um, yeah, and listen to the scan and stuff like that. Okay, cool. All right, here we go. <laughs> Can you explain what's going on in this radio? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right now, um, there's calls going in. Uh, this is the NYPD dispatch radio. So if there's any emergency taking place, it will be related through the dispatch radio. At the same time, they receive it, we receive it, and we're able to go to these calls. They know that they could shoot and not worry about any consequences because one the call went in that it was a weapon and two the guy reached into his pocket the guy walked towards police with something in his hand and in you know the call went in as a weapon so we thought it was a weapon and we shoot and they shoot him but still you know but if it is a weapon a they, lot of they could get they could get killed oh police yeah <laughs> i mean it is if you got a gun, I guess, yeah, if you have a gun, I mean, a knife. I've done four people with knife and took I didn't need no gun. Do you think there are any good police officers? Oh, no, there's a lot of good police officers. But can you be good in that uniform, in the department? Nah. But it's undeniable that crime's gone up. I mean, so many people are victims of crime, and these people have got to go somewhere. They've got to go off the streets, right? Because they can be dangerous to pe- just the ordinary members of the No, public. I mean, crime has... I mean, we ain't going to lie about that. Crime has been a little bit crazy. We were talking about over the phone how these young kids are running up on old people and robbing them and stuff like that. Back in the days, you know, take it back in our days, we didn't play that. You came in my neighborhood and robbed old folks, we were going to find you. And believe me, once we did what we did, he wasn't robbing nobody else old in any neighborhood. But that's that's vigilante justice. Didn't now. Ro- that what can't you, be fair, yeah, though, but can what it? you call police? Just because it got a badge? Well, they, they have the law, they have the legal system, they have to have, you know, proof of, they have to have evidence, they go to trial. Whereas you guys, evidence. you might... Well, let, they, they have evidence to lock me up? Well, there's, there's obviously problems, but the thing is, you can't rely on vigilante justice. I mean, yeah. you may get it. What happens if you got it wrong? What happens to the guy if people were lying or if you didn't have the right evidence? You may have caused. What some... did they have with him? Did they have with him what he got? You know what I'm saying? What did they have with my brother? Lies. You see, that's the thing that sometimes makes me like say, I guess people don't really understand what's going on. Well, if you stopped a lot of these white folks downtown, you're going to find a lot of them don't have guns, a lot of them have drugs. You know, we know <laughs> that a lot of them have drugs because in our younger days, we used to, you know, we used to do our thing to survive. Right? And, and believe me. So you were, you were dealing drugs to them? No, no better customer than the ones downtown. You know what I mean? Have you ever been a victim of, of crime? Have you ever been assaulted or robbed or anything like that? Yeah, I've been through that. <laughs> You've been through that? We've been initiated. We call it initiated, yeah. When we were young, I mean... You've been initiated, okay. When we were young, yeah, we've been beat. I mean, I've been jumped, I've been stabbed, I've been beat up. And what do you I've think should happen robbed. to the people who who stabbed you and robbed you? I mean, they should go to prison, right? <laughs> nah, they, they was taking care. 
They, they'll take care of. <laughs> they got taken care of. Okay, so I may sound like a bit of a wuss here, but I don't feel prepared to stab someone or to defend myself in that way. I haven't got a weapon. I've never been trained. I'm not used to, you know, so, do you know what I mean? So what about the people who, who don't feel able to protect themselves or defend themselves? Everyone should have the right to carry and defend themselves. We believe in the sucker man. Uh, <laughs> so I should everyone. have a gun to protect myself. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have. That's what it takes. Protect your life. If he puts his life in jeopardy by robbing you, that's on him. He's an adult. He made a decision. He Listen, if everybody, I mean, I believe that. If everybody was strapped, motherfuckers would think about it twice. It's like the Western, you know what I mean? You challenge a motherfucker. Be like, yo, listen. So it's three o'clock. We're going to do this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but so there was nobody getting robbed. I mean, it was. So I should have a gun instead of the police protecting me? Damn right, because. <sighs> What about, about what, what about women? What about children? I mean, what about people who are disabled? That's why you have the males there. In every in every family, we have our males, and that's know, another what, thing that happened. That you know, the power of the man, male power of protecting their women has been taken away. I mean, it's great the woman's independence and stuff like that's a beautiful thing, you know. But now, like I said, everything has a program behind it. So this independence causes a woman to feel like they don't need a man. With violent crime becoming a major issue for New Yorkers, I wanted to find out how the issue was impacting the campaign for governor in the upcoming midterm elections. Ryan Godersky is a Republican activist who runs the 1776 Project and writes analysing political trends. We caught up in his suburban home in Brooklyn. How much influence is crime having in these midterms, do you think? It's huge. Crime is probably the third largest issue in America right now. In some states, like in New York State, it's probably number one. You don't have to live in a high-crime neighborhood to see crime every single day because it's on everyone's smartphone. Everyone's Instagram has, has probably videos of it or Twitter or Facebook, whatever social media you use. Those videos are shared constantly. So the anxiety over crime, even in rather low crime areas, is always prevalent. Let's talk about New York specifically. So obviously, as you mentioned, crime has risen a lot here in recent years. How much of an impact will that have on the midterms here in New York? It's everything. It's why this is why the governor's race is within single digits. I mean, Republicans haven't won a governor's race since 2002 with George Pataki. And even when they won, they never got 50%. I don't think Pataki ever got 50%, maybe one time, but he won three times. They are competitive. Lee Zeldin is competitive over the issue of crime. Can you give us a breakdown of that governor election in New York? Sure. So there's Governor Kathy Hochul, who is the, she was lieutenant governor of the state with Andrew Cuomo was the governor. He had to step down for sexual assault allegations and she became the governor. She's never won an election as her own. She was a former one-term congressman from Western New York, from the Buffalo area. And there's Congressman Lee Zeldin, who is the Republican from Long Island. He has been in Congress uh, for a couple of years, I would say six or eight. And he was a state senator before then, very popular on Long Island. And if a Republican traditionally can get a third of the vote of New York City, because upstate is so Republican, it will manage to win. Zeldin is polling close to a third in New York City, and that's why he's within single digits. It's on the razor's edge, and it's been moving in Zeldin's favor every single week that goes by. He was 20 points down. Now he's within four or six points, depending on the poll you read. It could possibly see a Republican governor, which would be the biggest election in, in the country this year. It's not just in New York City that crime has risen. Many of America's major cities have been inflicted with surges in violence, 
homelessness and drug abuse. In these midterm elections, the Democrats will likely face an uphill struggle as voters make their verdict on the impact of radical district attorneys and activists who push slogans like defund the police. For New York, memories of the chaos of the 1990s are still in the past, for now. You've been listening to The Red Wave with me, Stephen Edgington, for The Telegraph. It's produced by Tom Heal, with additional production and sound design by Elliot Lampitt. The executive producer is Louisa Wells, and the commissioning editor is Tom Welsh. Follow this feed on your podcast app to make sure you don't miss an episode. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.